1: whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential.
0: Sophia Berkvist's grandmother, Claire, was given Quinta la Rosa as a christening present in 1906, but by the time her granddaughter took over 82 years later, it was in a sorry, run-down state. Listen to us chat about how Sophia turned this historic Douro Valley estate around, why table wines, not port, are her main focus, and what being the swan warden for the Vintners' Company in London really entails fire how are you?
1: I'm very well quite hot I'm here in the Douro at La Rosa sitting in strangely enough the dining room because I think it's the quietest place but um, we are right above the river Douro you probably won't hear any boats but you might hear a occasional train go by because we're above the train line but we don't get many trains so I, I hope it'll be relatively peaceful.
0: Well, and it has to be said that's one of the great train rides of the world, isn't it, up the Dura? I mean, you know, it's, 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 I mean, once you get to the river, it's just views all the way.
1: Oh, it is beautiful. And I, I, I love taking the train. In fact, I often take the train. We have another vineyard further up the river. Um, and I often take the train up to our, um, Quinta called Quinta de Bandeiras. Uh, which is opposite Valmian, um, the famous, one of the famous Donna Antonia Ferreira yeah. Quintas. And and I, I get the train and it takes me an hour and it's very peaceful and very beautiful.
0: Does the train go all the way to Spain or do it goes to the, close to the border, doesn't it?
1: It used to. Now it stops actually at Piscini where I get off to go to the vineyard. And it yeah. used to then. That was a spectacular journey um, yeah. to um, Bacadalva and then a rickety little train that you got um, along the River Douro to the Spanish border, and you changed trains to get to Salamanca. It was, um, oh. it was wonderful, really, really wonderful. I mean, that would be amazing.
0: I'd love to do
1: that. Yeah, I mean, and that bit of the journey was was just spectacular because it was it was right over the, the these these incredible granite gorges. And uh, oh. anyway,
0: no longer. Loads of stuff to talk about. I mean, I want to start with your your background, which is very international. I must say, I didn't realise that. Uh, uh, until I started reading up on you, and you were born in the Lebanon of all places. You moved to Italy with your family, uh, and then England. All of that before you were ten years old. I just wondered, you know, that movement has that affected your outlook on life? Do you do you feel like a, a kind of a citizen of the world, as it were?
1: I think I definitely feel I'm, I'm quite nomadic, which right. is quite difficult for my husband, um, who has been very, you know, very. I, I think he's very loyal to be still married to me after thirty last years. Um, and I think it does mean I'm quite nomadic. And I think throughout all my childhood, I was always going backwards to Portugal as well. So my grandmother um, lived at Quinta de la Rosa. It was her house. And um, we used to come and stay um, every single Summer holidays in the days when nobody came up to the Douro because it was so hot. I mean, it still is hot, but there was no air conditioning. And in fact, my grandmother had the first swimming pool in the Douro, which was a convert, converted duck pond that she put <laughs> uh, copper sulphate in rather than chlorine. So I used to then end up going to school back in England with green hair before green hair was you know, quite popular. Um, so I was definitely <laughs> a bit of a freak by, by being this kind of weirdo with a Swedish surname coming from Portugal and um, I, d- I don't think um, my school friends knew anything about the, um, the, the Lebanese bit of my family yeah. but um, yeah. anyway it, it was um, yeah, quite a I suppose it was it sounds kind of deeply romantic and quite unusual but the reality yeah. is it seemed quite normal to me.
0: So the Dura was in was in your veins as it were was it I mean from a young age?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to explain. And I think I'm I'm quite good at having this kind of double act in my life. And I do spend um, half the time, increasingly less than half, in in the United Kingdom. And my husband, who is English, um, is um, is based uh, just outside Oxford. And I think, you know, when I get to England, people don't kind of realise what I'm doing here. So I do find it kind of rather strange that people come here to... La Rosa which is part of my life it's the most important part of my life and they go oh wow gosh I didn't quite realise it was you know this big and, and I think La Rosa has just developed over the years and so I occasionally kind of sit in the restaurant that we opened five years ago, in, going, I can't quite believe we've got 25 <laughs> bedrooms that we rent out. I can't quite believe, you know, that we're now producing you know, over 400,000 bottles of wine and port every year. I can't quite, because I started it, you know, with my father back in 1988. So it's been very gradual.
0: Um, yeah. But very t- tell precious. us a bit more about your grandmother, because Claire. She was given La Rosa, wasn't she, as a christening present uh, in what, 1905 or six, was it? Just tell us a bit more about her because she sounds like a really interesting person with lots of fun friends and, and, and something ahead of her time in a way.
1: She was a, an, a wonderfully eccentric lady. And you say 1905, 1906. Mm-hmm. We were always told that she was given it as a christening present in 1906 mm-hmm. until. Um, we found some documents to prove that, in fact, she was given it in 1907. <laughs> so, no, sorry, she was given it in 1906, but she was born in 1907. So, so, we were quite so kind of she wasn't sure either. When she, I don't know who, I mean, I don't know who was right. Her, her, the date of birth or, or when we got La It got slightly kind of... I think, you know, rather like Oscar Wilde, it kind of got lost in the mists of time. So she, she was an amazing woman. I mean, my her father, my great-grandfather, was a port shipper. And, in fact, we originally came from Germany back in 1815. And we were kind of... My great-great-grandfather, H.L., who was an incredible man, because I've got his diaries that I've been translating during lockdown. I found a woman in Buffalo, New York, to translate some very, very old German in that... You know copper plate writing oh, yeah. and um anyway apparently he back in the 1850s was trading port um from the Douro and from oporto but he was also strangely enough living in london and he was commuting backwards and forwards from london to in- to, to portugal and in his diaries it, t- it said that he took 57 hours to get from the Douro back to oh. london And I think on my best run, it's been six hours. So so that's (laughs) definitely improved over over the years. But um, it's quite interesting. I think we've always had this Portuguese-English connection in, in a, a, I suppose, a rather kind of unusual way. So there was my great-great-grandfather based in England, but actually he was Mm. German, married to a French lady. Mm. Uh, My great-grandfather, Albert, who's known as Wicked Uncle Albert because he fell out with some of the um, members of, of the other bit of the family. Um, went bankrupt in the 1930s, so had to sell the port shipping company. But my grandmother, who was an only child, um, had been given La Rose as a christening present. So when the shipping company, Foyherd, had to be sold, we um, kept the vineyard, or my great, my grandmother kept the vineyard, um, because uh, it was her personal property. So we were, we were quite lucky. And I think people think it's very glamorous to receive a vineyard, but in those days, it was a kind of... Hut. I think it had a three rooms, and she, they'd been they'd been bought from the local uh, doctor, and he had a kind of small waiting room and a couple of of, of rooms that he slept in and the kitchen, and it was a very different type of place to what it is today. Yeah, interesting.
0: And her interesting friends. I mean, she knew Fanny Craddock, didn't she? And she Elizabeth David, didn't she?
1: Yes, did. Yeah. I don't know why you picked that up, but she she entertained. <laughs> so she um um. Uh, she married um, a rather taciturn Swede who was based in, in Naporto. And in fact, the families had kind of houses virtually next door to each other in forge in that beautiful um, avenue that overlooks the sea, these very grand houses. Uh, one of them now is a, 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 a medical clinic and the other goodness knows what. Um, and anyway, they they met, uh, you know, very young, got married, had my father. Uh, my grandfather, the Swedish grandfather, was um, went off to... Glasgow with my ma- my grandmother during the war and ran a munitions factory. And my poor grandmother, I think she had a pretty miserable war stuck out in Glasgow. Um, and 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 apparently, actually, anyway, um, she, she, she didn't behave herself very well. And that resulted in at the end of the war, they divorced. My grandfather went off with her best friend in a porto, which was very dramatic. But I, I don't think one should feel too sorry for my grandmother, because I think she was having quite a good time as well. And so she then, um, she then effectively went and lived in, uh, uh, at Quinta de la Rosa in the 1950s and 60s. And it's hard to explain what the 50s and 60s were like here. I mean, it was just very, very remote. She used to send... A, a basket of goodies from um, the Jersey cow she had and the vegetable garden down to, to the local delicate- well, delicatessen in a porto, not local at all. So I think it took about four hours to get there. And the delicatessen in exchange used to send things like butter and cheese and, and, and bacon and things that you <laughs> couldn't get. And, and, and I met this delicatessen uh, many years ago. He was called Argos Du Late. Uh, and uh, the, the shop is still there in Foch. And he remembered my, my grandmother well. <laughs> um, I wonder if he's still alive. But anyway, and she, um because she was living here on her own, she ended up having um, uh, house parties. Hmm. And she used to have, you know, pretty wild house parties. And she had someone called, um, a great cousin of hers called David Punsonby. Um, who was a, uh, a concert pianist and also um, a, a, an artist and he uh, lived in a, in Lisbon and he was an extraordinary man he was kind of the Ponsonby family is quite a kind of well-heeled family in in the UK and um, and it was in the days where it was illegal to be gay and um, he Ooh. had his you know various yeah. um, outrageously um, <laughs> outrageous boyfriends who used to come and stay here <laughs> um, and I just... used to come and stay when I was is aged eight, and I remember my David took me up once from from Lisbon. I had to stay over the night with him, and uh, he took me up to stay with my grandmother. And I said to my mother recently, "I said, Mum, you sent me off to you know stay with David and you know all his outrageous friends." And she said, "Yes, of course, darling. You know why not? You were you know he's a, he's had a, to see the world." Also. And I remember, you know, aged, aged eight, you know, being, you know, it was just so exciting. I mean, because they were all. I don't know, just wonderfully artistic and very free. Um, I didn't meet I didn't meet Fanny Craddock, but um, my father did have um, a wonderful story of post-war. He was in Cairo propping up a bar, and he got a kind of little note saying, um, are you um, Claire's son? Uh, Claire being my grandmother. And my father said yes and went over to, to talk to this individual. And, um, and he was Evelyn war. And wow. so you know, it just gives you an
0: indication
1: of you know what type of uh, friend yeah. he had. And my father, and a great friend of my grandmother's, was Lord Hailsham, Quentin Hogg. So there was yeah. an extraordinary mishmash people I mean, yeah. coming through, and then also the, the wonderful Port um, families as well. So mm-hmm. I kind of grew up. Um, with um
0: surrounded by really surrounded
1: yeah. by it, and actually one of the wonderful yeah. stories I remember aged eight sitting around the you know dining room table of my grandmother making a wet wax effigy of the bank manager and sticking a pin in his <laughs> arm, not his heart um because she owed so much i mean she had no money she she regularly used to pawn the family silver and um and you know, the the roofs always leaked with with, with re- when, when it, whenever it rained i mean it was it was it was wonderful but it was also. Quite quite tough. And one last story: Ben Hawkins, who's a, 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 written a book about Port and quite a famous individual in the wine in the wine trade, remembers coming here in 1963 for a famous famous dinner party that I'd heard of, but I didn't quite realise it was a- actually true. Where the um, the cook co- um, cooked some borscht, some very very pink beetroot soup, and apparently it was so disgusting, my grandmother threw it out of the window, followed by everybody else. And literally, the walls of, of the outside walls of La Rosa were painted. are covered in pink.
0: soup. Now, listen, we could talk about her for hours, but we've got other things we've got to get onto. Because, uh, listen, you, you, you took over in 1988. You know, you've been you've been an investment banker. You've been at INSEAD. Uh, you've been a management consultant, and you took over with your dad, Tim, in '88 to hit La Rosa. What sort of shape was the business in then when you guys took over?
1: Well, it was pretty. It was pretty bad. I mean, I very much was brought up with the idea that we would never keep the quinta because, you know, granny had no money. And then in Portugal, the 1970s were very difficult. We had the Portuguese revolution. My father didn't have very much money. And so it was kind of, we'll keep it until granny dies. Then we'll have to sell it. Anyway, fortunately, my father kept it going, but we were only selling grapes and um, um, we've grown grapes and selling them to Sandeman. And so, you know, my father had this private checkbook that he just kept the place going. He was never very honest with my mother about how much it cost just to keep it ticking over. But it was, you know, it was in a pretty bad way. And there was, in the early um, 70s, the um, half the house fell um, down onto the railway line and my father had to rebuild it. And the railway guys were cool. threatening to blow up the whole house because the, the trains had been stopped for a couple Amazing. of days. And it was pretty dire. I mean, it, it was extraordinary, but pretty dire. And then my... Um, grandfather um, died and left my father the part of the family business, which was on the Swedish side, this pulp business, mm. which my father sold in 1987 and with mm. the money that my father finally had in his in pocket yeah. he, he's, he rang me up and said how about it, let's um, do, what do, do what he it was always his dream to start our own label again and start making our own port, so in 1988 yeah. we stopped our our, 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 our um, uh, our, our relationship with Sanderman, started making our own port, and um, it was quite difficult. I, I think uh, you've quoted me saying, it was. going to port's very branded.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, how, how do you, I mean, as you said, you know, port is a very branded product. How do you establish, I mean, a kinta people knew the kinta, presumably, but they didn't know the brand because there'd yep. been no brand. So yep. how do you establish something like that from scratch?
1: No, nobody knew us. Well yeah. I was very naive, you know, so yeah. much for my MBA and investment banking and everything. I did a kind of, of a, a, a cash forecast and everything i th- thought in five years time we'll make some money i think it took 20 years to to get out of the, the red or, or i mean it was always and i was always teetering there of you know not quite it's it's difficult and if you talk you know and the great thing is that in fact i was talking to to the owner of hattingley recently mm. uh, talking about you know his his problems he said you know am i ever going to make any money in this it's it's <laughs> It takes a long time. And interesting, of you know, English Fizz probably has a similar um, link in terms of brands yes. because of champagne and the big brands. as a port, yeah. port does. And we were one of the first porthouses to re-establish ourselves. And now I think maybe it's easier because there's lots of small porthouses and brands and there's been yeah. an explosion of, of Portuguese wines as well. So yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's got easy.
0: I mean, the one thing you did have were these amazing vineyards, right? I mean, I know you've added to them since, but... They're, they're they're classified as a grade right yeah yeah tell us what tell us what an A grade vineyard looks like
1: yeah well, we were very lucky because um we we have a very good location and we're right on the river and we are um a, a graded um and the grading is 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 very similar to a, a Bordeaux classification or whatever or, or burgundy um and it's an old fashioned classification that, that was done by the castle of duros um you know a century or so ago um and um it's based on um really the, the, the quality of the area. So it's a mixture of um, things like the altitude um, and also the amount of rainfall. So the, the, the further along the river, away from a Porto you get, the drier it tends to be more of a rain shadow area. Um, and traditionally, my father always used to say the A-graded um, vineyards were vineyards where you could hear the, um, um, the, the squeak of the oars of the Douro boats. <laughs> um, and um, uh, and and that that probably sums it up. I mean, it's you know it tends to be within within spitting different dis- distances of of, of, of of the Dura, of the Dura River, but fundamentally it's the quality of the grape, and it yeah. means our grapes yeah. tend to be the, you know, quite really concentrated, good. very cool, very intense. And yeah. um, I think that makes that makes a big a big difference.
0: Um, and what are the worst vineyards called? F. It goes to F, doesn't it? F yeah yeah yeah. Eight. <laughs> so you really don't um, want to have f's you don't want to have a set of f's do you really
1: no i don't think you do but then i think probably uh at the f vineyards tend to be further you know higher up and you know maybe you could plant more interesting white grape up there i mean there mm. are lots of things one can do nowadays so it doesn't have to be this is this is a classification based on port rather yeah. than based on um yeah. on wine as well but um,
0: that's interesting I, I want to ask you about that as, in a second yeah I mean, because
1: yeah,
0: your vineyards...
1: gone. Sorry, just 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 one thing about the classification. The interesting thing is because the the big brands who do an extremely good job, and I think that's why the uh, port such a branded product, um, because they tend to blend, because ports are blended, and they tend to blend from all, many different vineyards. Um, I think people aren't very aware of the port classification, so we make quite yeah. a big thing of it because all our vineyard is solely graded A um yeah. but i think other people you know don't probably <laughs> don't want, want
0: I mean, to and, want. <laughs> but it's interesting as well that your vineyards vary significantly in altitude don't they we'll you know i'm sure we'll talk about this a bit more when we come on to your table wines but you're very close to the river uh, obviously down at the yeah. bottom and you're right up to what 400 meters uh, is that significant do you think for the wine styles you make that you can blend these different altitudes
1: Definitely. Uh, and I remember when we first started, um, Michael Symington um, said to, 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 to my father, oh, you know, you're never going to make a, a very good, you know, a top quality vintage port. And my father said, actually, I think we will, because we've got all these different altitudes. And it's not just the altitude, it's the aspect. So it's, it's whether you've got north facing, southwest facing vineyards as well. And we have got an extraordinary diversity for only um, 63 hectares. And the and the one thing that's very important to us is 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 the um, uh, morning sun that we get. Um, so it, it it does give a certain amount of freshness to our vineyards.
0: So you face east, or a, bit, a significant part faces east. Does it?
1: Yeah, east and southeast. yeah. So we get with the morning sun hits hits my bedroom window and wakes me up in the morning.
0: <laughs> Could be worse. <laughs> I mean, you know, in the, it's interesting. In the early nineties, you one of the first port houses to make top table wines, really. Um, I just wonder what convinced you to do that, because you had a, an Australian winemaker at the time, didn't you, David Bavistock, who made great table wines, uh, in, you know, especially in, in, in Portugal, really. Was he the person who convinced you to
1: do it or were you thinking? Ah, uh, the oh. story is he didn't, because at the time, David Bavistock was making port for the Symingtons next door. And he was really frustrated because David was one of the first people to identify the potential of the grapes in terms of making not just port, but also uh, red wines and and white wines, but particularly red wines at the Mm. time. And, Actually, what what happened was in, in 1991, we were sitting there and we had a vineyard that we couldn't make into port because we hadn't got the right as a beneficio, but you have a kind of port quota. So we hadn't got the right registration as usual. I'd made a mess up with all the Portuguese bureaucracy. So we had these grapes and so we didn't know what to do with them. And David and I and, and my father were sitting there and it was rather a cold in front of the fire. It's rather a cold vintage. And um, I said, you know, What are we going to do, David? We're going to have to pick the grapes. And David said, we must make wine. And the next day, my father and I went across to Peter Symington, um, David's boss, who was making port at the time. And Peter said, take David away. Just you know, He can be a, a part-time consultant. David carried on working full-time for the Symington's. But, you know, we make port in the Dura, not wine. And really? it's very interesting to see you know, how many people have now made, 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 made wine. And David really should should be credited as being one of the first, I mean, Duis quintish probably started about the same time. Um, yeah. Dirk was definitely Newport, um, yeah. uh, experimenting with, with, his, with his very, very um, thick and syrupy type—not syrupy and sweetness, but but I remember you could almost kind of put a, 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 a spoon into. <laughs> well, those so have changed a bit, there, haven't they? Things. Yeah, no, no, they've they've changed hugely, and uh, uh, and and you know, and I look at the La Rosa wines, and I was terribly excited about them, but they were quite rustic, and we were making them out using a continuous press, and I mean, and, and we used the first year we used uh, uh, Portuguese oak, which was very resinous, and I, I wanted everything to be local, um, I, and uh, we finally found that. And then actually, you changed your uh, French oak, uh, French oak is, is is better than Portuguese.
0: I, I'm interested. In, I mean, are you saying that? Table wine vineyards are not necessarily good port vineyards, and vice versa.
1: Um, I think the good vineyards are for for, are for in general for both. Um, but we're lucky that we've got very, very good vineyards. And um, you know, our Val Inferno vineyard, which is the kind of iconic one which sits by the by the river, you know, it makes extremely good vintage port and also makes our, our top couve. Um, mm. uh, so, I mean, you know, there are certain vineyards that are better for port and certain better for wines, especially if we're wanting to make fresher wines. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, there is, I mean, the there are other producers who don't make wine with the views that they say, you know, there's too much of competition. But actually, mm. I think if you, I mean, we have fantastic vineyards. We 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 can we can make both, and I think we've proved that we can make both. Mm.
0: And, and which varieties do you work? You work with all the port varieties but also with white varieties, and white varieties are used for white port as well, I know. Uh, Any in particular you think work particularly well for port and or table wine? I mean, I suppose Terriga Nacional would be be the king of the grapes, would it?
1: Uh, Yeah, our favourite continues to be Terriga Nacional. And um, but having said that, you know, we went through a phase um, of we had about 60 or 70 different grape varieties. And then suddenly in the in the 70s, there was a wonderful man called uh, Signor Razus, which he was part of the Ramesh Pinto um, family. And he started actually doing analysis on each grape variety. And we thought Marishka was lovely. It was kind of big and juicy and jammy. And actually Mariska, we found, didn't really make very good wine or port. Mm. So we went from. 60 to about, about six approved great grape varieties. And now, fortunately, we're now branching out and exploring and seeing the excitements of, of other grape varieties that have been slightly forgotten about. So, you know, a, a grape variety like Suzanne, for instance, is is very good for vintage port because it gives colour. It's a bit rusty, but it gives colour. Um, mm-hmm. And But our favourites continue to be Turega Nacional, um and Torrega franca um yeah. and less so Tinta Roriz, which is the tempranillo that you 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 get in spain because um, mm. that can be a bit green but it 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 can give freshness mm. so it's um, and i read you were it's, it's I read exciting. you
0: were pulling out. i read you were pulling out Tinta barocca is that true
1: yeah yeah At Tinta tinto barocca we 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 pulled out and we also did some re-grafting, which has been very interesting so mm. because the vine is grafted onto American roots, of course. You can actually just cut an old vine, so you still have the 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 old roots and you can regraft anything back on it, onto it. So we've done yeah. some interesting experiences of um re Torrega Nacional onto Barocca.
0: What yeah. was I mean, you you've alluded to this already, but you're s you're a single quinto, you're an estate, right? So all the grapes yeah. come from one property, which which is not always the case in the Duraval, it's quite unusual, in fact. Um, I just wonder what the advantages and disadvantages are. I mean, if you have a tricky year, I don't know, you get hit by, I don't know, um, mildew or hail or something. Well, hail, um, hail we it? got hit yeah. by
1: hail last year. But we do buy, we do buy some grapes in uh, and we always have, mm. um, but uh, we're not allowed to call them quinta. So um, so we buy some some uh, grapes in for our, because we, we like to make, we try to like to make a slightly lighter style wine under the De Rosa label. And that's using um, mm-hmm. some bought in grapes from slightly higher altitudes, yeah. slightly fresher. And so um, you're hedging your bets and, a bit.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, we are hedging yeah. our bets a bit. And and also, interestingly enough, it's it it, it it kind of swings and roundabouts. You know, at one point it, it was much better to, to buy in grape because it's much cheaper. But of course, it's quite difficult to then control the the supply and the people we now buy in, we only buy in really with long term. I mean, we don't have many written contracts, but long term understanding. Um, and we work very closely with the farmers to make sure that they are doing what we would like them to do in the vineyard. So it's a kind yeah. of it's a partnership. And, and these old chaps are one where you'll have to come to La Rosa when, when we have the annual lunch for the, for the Sounds farmers. Sounds like that fun. We buy. They're, they're, they're just wonderful. They are absolutely wonderful. They're, they're real characters.
0: I mean, it's interesting that you, you release more vintage wines than some of your competitors. I mean, some people are very fearful of doing two back-to-back vintages or that does happen. When, when do you decide not to declare a vintage? Does it have to be something where you think, oh, no, I really don't want to do that. And it goes into tawny or whatever. When do you decide not to?
1: Yeah, I, I guess our challenge has been because we have this fantastic location, we can produce vintage ports every year. And of course, the the um, the bigger brands do. They just um, launch them under their single Quintas, so they're able to dif- differentiate between, you know, the big shipping brand and their single Quintas, and and the problem is there has been a bit of confusion now. So you know, the confusion um, I think people have is, you know, is is to de Vesuvio better or or not? than some of the Symington, you know, the the, the bigger brands. You've got stone terraces. And so I think nowadays we're a bit like, you know, the Burgundian producers. I I think there is just a lot of different vintage ports out there. And, you know, in the great years, they are great vintages. And in the less great years, they are still very good. But, you know, like Bordeaux or or Burgundy or whatever, they're going to be slightly lighter style, but they've still got the quality for vintage. And and what you have to remember is that they're approved by the Port Wine Institute and the Port Wine Institute is pretty tough. We were just trying to get our vintage 2020 approved and you have three goes and then you send it to the kind of final court of appeal. And we only got ours approved on the third go. And George was absolutely determined. He couldn't believe George George being like our winemaker. He couldn't believe that it had been rejected. Um, And I was particularly keen to have the 2020 because, of course, it was COVID year. And I can say that that's the only vintage port, possibly ever, but definitely from Quinta de la Rosa, that has only been trodden by female feet. And you're the first to hear that, Jim. I think that's, I like that (laughs) exclusive. You're you're the first to hear it because we we, we only got it approved just now. And uh, um, anyway. So it's the first female- You've got to put that on the cotton. label,
0: haven't you? you got to go on the label.
1: I, I don't, don't you worry, I'm not <laughs> going to miss out on this opportunity.
0: <laughs> You've alluded to this a little bit, but tell us, how would you describe the, the style of La Rosa, both in, in terms of the ports and the table wines? And I just wondered how it's changed since since 88 when you started and where we are now, basically, in 2002.
1: Um, yes, I kind of alluded to because we have this, this morning sun. So mm. our ports and wines are definitely fresher and more elegant. And um, uh, and I remember when we first started making wines, I wanted to make wines that were you know huge, big Parker wines, and we just couldn't. I mean, they just the vineyard doesn't, isn't able to produce them. And, and thank goodness, in a way. And what we've learned over the years is to very much listen to our vineyards to see what we can produce. So uh, both our wines and our ports have this kind of slightly more elegant... I mean, people say, oh, it's because I'm a woman, but actually it's not. My great-grandfather was making... Uh, similar ports i I tried his nineteen twenty seven vintage port and it was it was i tried it blind many many years ago that Michael Broadbent had this huge blind tasting with all the twenty sevens and I wrote a, a, a very beautiful old elegant lady and that's how I would actually describe and that was your and it was our port. <laughs> and I was, yeah, I was in my 20s. I really didn't know what I was doing. But it's just quite interesting that that, that was the style of, of, of the family and, and of the vineyard. And our style for port, we do stop the fermentation slightly later. So our ports, people tell me we make wine lovers ports. They're slightly so they're less sweet. Less, they're less sweet. Yeah, 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 slightly less sweet. And, and they've got this kind of vinous uh, quality to them. Um, and you can see that in the wine. You know, our wines are very much more elegant. I mean, George, winemaker George Moreira, who's been with us for 20 years now. We celebrate 20 years with him, um, and he is very much his style as well. I mean, that's why I think mm. we work so well together. Is that he now knows the vineyards very well, and he takes that 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 elegance out of out of what we have.
0: It's interesting, you know, talking about this. But... It's a cliche in a way, but there's sort of feminine touch. But it's interesting that you're the only British woman running a porthouse. And, you know, I've spent not as much time in the port porto as you have, but it's improved a lot. But it used to be pretty traditional. If you're going for lunch at the factory house or whatever, I, was it hard for you to be accepted as a woman? I mean, did they think, well, oh, who's this you know, whippersnapper coming in to run this porthouse?
1: I don't know if it's ever being a woman. I just always felt a bit of an outsider, which is strange considering the family history and link and everything yeah. here. Um, maybe I, it didn't worry me being a woman because my my grandmother was was loved and respected for for what she was and what she did. And there is a there's a whole you know link between be it, um and uh, Donna Antonio, uh, Antonio being a, a, around in the in the background of of the great woman,
0: historic in, in figure, the you know, great women of the portrait, the
1: historic. Figure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think you know, women. You know, women work very hard in Portugal. I, I think I always felt I was more of an outsider because I was um, English rather mm. than being a woman. Um, mm. And I think I just used being a woman as much to my advantage. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I've I've been in a very kind of male dominated world from university through to the city. Uh, so I, I was just kind of used to it. So.
0: And do you do you like being in that kind of world or or not?
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I, 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 I really enjoy. Um, and, and I know that we, we're going to talk to talk about the vintners later. What I really enjoy is, is encouraging women in the wine trade. And, um, uh, and I, I think that women's palates are slightly different sometimes. We all have different palates, but, mm. um, and I embrace that. So I don't think I noticed it while I was, you know, building up La Rosa that, I, there were there weren't many women around, but I really embrace it now because um there's just a great camaraderie amongst uh, um women in in the wine trade now, and there are lots now in in Portugal in different formats. So mm-hmm. you know you've got beautiful Sandra um at, at Wine and Soul, you've got Olga course, running yeah. Lavrador de Feitoria married to, mm-hmm. to, to, to 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 George. You've got you've you've got kind of different different people coming out, and it's it's it's. It's it's very Philippa good. Filipe
0: Pato, as well, of course, who's been on this podcast.
1: Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Philippa, we, we share the same distributor in Portugal, so I, I see Filipe. and uh, no, it's it's mm. it's great. And actually, it's it, and there's Anna down in Coimbra who's who's doing a yep. great job and exactly remodeling Corte yeah. Corte de Cima. and she's yeah. the new generation as well, which is which is uh, it's, it's 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 great to see. Um. So I think yes, maybe looking back, it, it would have been nice to have more women around, but I not I don't think yeah. I really noticed it. I think I was. So determined not to fail and so Mm. worried about everything that was happening at La Rosa and we had, you know, we haven't got time, but we had so many problems and so many issues that I don't think I kind of noticed, you know, being a woman, I was desperate to succeed.
0: I mean, you, you've mentioned the Vintners, uh, which is a you know, historic livery company. The Vintners company goes back to 1363. Uh, you're now something called, I think you're now Swan Warden, which means that you very soon will be the master. You'll be the second woman. The one is about to, is she about to start or is she just started? Uh, the, the first She's just female finishing. master. She's, done She's a, just finishing. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And, female master. And, and, and you'll
0: be the second yeah. in two years time?
1: Uh, in two years' time, yeah, and I'll be subject to election. Um, so you yeah. have to make sure that you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm on the route, but um, there are elections in the in the in in the process. And, and what does um, the Swan Warden no, do? No, Anne's been a very. No. I, what look does after, the swan I look after I look after the swans. Look <laughs> <I'll laughs> after the swans. <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to ask you to swan upping, which is rather a hoot. Which is you know you, you take a boat and go up and down the river counting swans, but there is a serious element, and we actually have been. Um, unfortunately, with the avian flu, I had to um, agree to uh, the culling of quite a lot of swans uh, this year. So that's been quite sad and quite dramatic. So, do they belong to the vintners? Um, uh, they belong to the vintners, the dyers, and the queen. Yeah. And so you go along, and swan upping is this yearly event, which, I mean, you could see it as just a kind of, you know, a, a reason to drink a lot and have a day out. But actually, there is a, a, a whole week of swan uppers catching swans, weighing them, checking the swans' health. And actually, for instance, uh, about 20 years ago, they found a lot of swans were dying from swallowing lead weights from fishermen uh, wow. tackles. So they've now stopped the lead weights. And um, so, you know, the vintners have have had a bit of say in, in, in looking after the swans. You might well, say there is, were too many swans.
0: Yeah, but it's one of the great livery companies of, of London, isn't it? I mean, I always find... It' quite emotional being being in that room in Vitness Hall. You know, you just think of the people who've sat there before you, including you know kings, <laughs> a number of them. Uh, it's quite No, cool, absolutely
1: no. It? And for me, being in the trade, and for you as well, it's one of the few livery halls that that still has a trade. And um, I'm very excited about actually getting it a little bit more connected to its trade, uh, and that mm. is beginning to happen, and getting some. Some young in and um and making making sure that the fitness is relevant um yeah. and that's that's very important it's very exciting we're linking up with Plumpton college we're we're doing a lot with g b wines you know we're, we're doing some some joint awards with them and everything, and getting getting the 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 young involved as well because and yeah. making it a little bit less pompous maybe
0: that, I think that would be a good thing, maybe serve something other than claret at the dinners
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. <please. laughs>
0: This is the last thing I want to ask you. I mean, you're unbelievably active. You know, you're doing all your stuff with the Vintners. You're running Kidlarosa. La Rosa. You're shuttling backwards and forwards between the UK and Oxfordshire. Um, you're a hiker. You're a tennis player. You're a skier. Do you have time to do anything else? I mean, you know, where do you fit all these things in? Um, I
1: worked out in COVID that... I've got to stop a bit, and actually, I'm also—I've just stepped down from being chair of of, of, a, of a governing board of a of Bradfield College, of, a, a school. So I've—I I've, didn't even mention those things. Like, me. That was all
0: on your CV as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm but I, I'm stopping, and um, yeah, no. I I do pack things in, but I also have time. I think it's very important to have fun um, and to have you know to have time to party, see friends. Uh, enjoy, enjoy one's life, and I think um, I I have a busy life, but I really enjoy my life.
0: And, and preferably, preferably with a good glass of port in your hand.
1: With a good glass of port, good, good glass of wine. I'm very happy to go. You know, from anything from fizz to burgundy to, to port. Um, I'm very happy with 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 any with 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 any good quality wine. And um, and I think that's what you know, I probably enjoy most. Strangely enough, is going round other people's vineyards in different, and that's why I love the vintners because we do a trip once a year, and we've just cut, we came back from Burgundy this year, uh, and I get just a huge amount of enjoyment of meeting other wine producers, um, and people who love wine.
0: And I think they enjoy meeting you too. You're always great company. Thank you. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you for sharing such amazing stories. I mean, the wonderful stories about people in war. It's great. And your grandmother is a swimming pool still
1: know. there. I know, okay. is,
0: is, is the swimming pool still there?
1: No, well, we've got we've got another problem, is that I I put another sewing in because the the sulfate one was was a bit small and falling down, and now I'm I'm having to go to court because it's forty nine meters above the river and not fifty. The bureaucracy oh, no. here is another.
0: <laughs> anyway, it's been fantastic talking to you. See you very soon, I hope in in London or, or or ever in Porto. See you soon.
1: Bye. Definitely. Good. Good to have a chat. Take care. Bye.
0: What a great story, and I must say that Sophia's grandmother sounds like a bit of a character. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is leading Prosecco producer Alessandro de Stefani of the Hacienda Agricola de Stefani in the Veneto. See you then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at timatkin.com, and on Instagram at timatkinmw. See you next week.